I greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus. It's a great privilege and a great honor to be able to bring God's Word to you today and to share a message that I believe will encourage us and strengthen us and build us up in our faith, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in God our Father. Before I bring the message, let's just open in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word, to consider your word, to be instructed out of your word. Lord, to receive from you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who is our teacher, our guide. Thank you, Father, that we have hearts that are open to hear what you want to say to us today, to receive it, to embrace it, and to walk in it. So thank you, Father, for what you will accomplish in our lives as a result of today's message. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Acts, chapter 14, verse 21 to 22, we read about how the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, on their first missionary journey, were traveling through the area of Galatia, and they were visiting the towns in that area, and the disciples in those towns. And as they did so, they were encouraging and strengthening the disciples in their faith. And they were telling them a message. And the message is summed up in that passage in Acts chapter 14. They were telling them that they would have to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. The apostles were not afraid to talk about hardships. In fact, they spoke about them as being an integral and unavoidable part of the Christian journey. And they also saw the need to prepare God's people to face them and to go through them so that they would endure to the end and have a faith that was strong. Today, however, for the last maybe 50 years or so, there's been a very strong movement in the church that has turned away from instructing God's people uh, concerning hardship and how to face it and attitudes towards it. And instead, the move has been more towards telling God's people what they must do to get rid of problems and how to live trouble-free lives. And this has caused great trouble in the church. And I want to just list a couple of the, the problems that this has caused in the church here today. It has caused problems because we have seen people embracing a false hope. I've heard evangelists who have preached a gospel to people saying that if they will come to Jesus, He will take away all their problems. He will remove all their troubles. And I've seen people responding to the altar calls of these evangelists and coming down to the altar and receiving Jesus Christ with a view to the fact that He was going to take away every single one of their problems. The problem with that is later on down the road, maybe some months down the road, maybe some years down the road, they begin to discover that what they were preached and told was actually not the truth because Jesus has not taken away all their problems. They still have many problems. And so what we see is many people, when they come to that place, they become embittered towards the gospel and towards God and towards the message of Jesus Christ, and they turn away from it and walk away from the faith. What this has also done, this kind of preaching, is that it has created an impression in the minds of many believers 
that if they have enough faith or they are favored enough by God, they will not have troubles. They will have a trouble-free life. And it's caused those who are not suffering to look down on those who are suffering. And instead of having compassion on them, they condemn them for their lack of faith or for something in their life that is causing them to have these troubles. As a result, what has also happened is many believers today don't want to talk about the troubles or the struggles that they are going through. They don't want to share it because they're afraid of the way people will view them if they do so. This kind of preaching, this kind of emphasis doesn't agree with Scripture. Even our Lord Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed, the eve of His crucifixion, told His disciples, in this world you will have tribulation. There is nothing in Scripture that promises God's people a trouble-free life. No matter how much faith they have, no matter how closely they walk with the Lord, troubles are a part of our Christian journey. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find this great chapter, which is a chapter that lists the heroes of the faith, the Old Testament saints who did great things for God because of their faith in God. And through this chapter, there is a great list that starts out right at the very beginning with people like Enoch. And it goes right through to the end of the chapter. We see many of those saints are commended for their faith and we see God doing great exploits through them. But at the end of the chapter is another group of these saints who are also commended for their faith. But it says of them that they suffered. They were destitute. They were poorly clothed. They lived in caves, in holes in the ground. And they were, many of them lost their lives. They were persecuted, mistreated. The Bible says that they were commended for their faith. And yet they were people that suffered great hardship and great struggles in their life because of their faith. You see, God doesn't look at people that have trouble in their life and say to them, you have the trouble because you do not have faith. God looks at people. Faith is really determined by God as those who are obeying Him, those who are following Him, those whose hearts are set towards Him, not on the circumstances of our lives. I want today, because of this wrong understanding that's so prevalent in the church, I want to share with you today briefly on what the Bible really teaches us about hardship and suffering. As I do so, I don't want to make light of anything that you may be going through at the moment. I'm very aware of the fact that there are people uh, within the church that have lost loved ones recently and are still in a place of mourning and grieving the loss of those dearly loved ones. There are people within the church that are struggling financially. There are people that are struggling with ill health. And I don't want to make light of any of those struggles as we talk about the subject of hardship, trials, and suffering today. Rather, what I'm wanting to do is I want to encourage you and I want to strengthen you. I also want to let you know that we care for you and that we are standing with you because we are members of one body. And when one member of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. That's the way God has designed it to be. But let's have a look at this subject and let's see what the Bible really says about suffering and hardship 
And in particular, we want to look at this in the context of the Christian life. I want to consider four questions today. The first one is, why is there so much suffering in the world? The second one is, why do believers in Jesus Christ still go through the same trials unbelievers do? The third one, does hardship have a purpose? Does it play a role in our lives as believers? And is there any benefit that comes to us from it? And lastly, the fourth question is, what should our attitude towards hardship, towards the trials that we face in life, be as believers? Now, these are big questions. And we could easily take a whole message just to answer and look at each one of these questions. But what I want to do today is just look briefly at them. And then you can continue to study and think about it and flesh out the answer that I give you um, in this message. So let's look at the first question. Why is there so much suffering in the world? Well, the simple answer is this. There is sin in the world. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. You see, when sin came into the world, it opened the door for death to come into the world. And that means it opened the door for all kinds of suffering, all the hardships, all the trials, all the negative things that we see so prevalent in the world today. If we were to go back to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis, we will see that before Adam sinned, there was no death in the world. There was no pain in the world. There was no sorrow. There was no curses. There was no judgment in the world. Everything was the way God had designed it to be. And that was good. But the moment sin entered the world, the moment Adam opened that door and let sin come into the world, everything changed. And if you were to have a look at Genesis chapter 3, you would see that, we, that uh, fear came into the world. Judgment came into the world. Curses came into the world. Uh, struggles came into the world. And death came into the world. Adam, through his disobedience to God, opened the door for that to happen. As mankind has propagated and, and has filled the earth and multiplied on the earth, so sin has also multiplied on the earth. And with sin multiplying on the earth, hardships have also multiplied. Death has multiplied. Why do we drive past graveyards that are always increasing and growing in size? It's because of the sin that is so prevalent in the world. Let's go on to the second question. Why do believers still go through the same hardships as unbelievers? And this is a very good question, and I want to spend a little bit of time on this today. Why do believers suffer the consequences of sin, even though the Bible tells us we have been forgiven, we are justified, we are born again, and we are children of God? Why do we still suffer the consequences of sin if we have been forgiven for our sin? The answer to this question is this. We haven't yet received the fullness of the salvation that God promises. God has promised to us immortality. That's one of the promises of God. And yet we're still mortal. Our bodies are still growing old. And they will go back to the dust from whence they came. But God's promise is immortality. You see, we are living in this in-between period. 
The price has been paid for our full redemption. It's been paid for us to have eternal life. It's been paid for us to be immortal. But delivery of the product has not yet been received. It's like someone who goes online and uses his credit card or his debit card to purchase some item. He pays the price, but he then has to wait for the time when the delivery of what he's paid for will arrive. Jesus Christ has paid the price for our complete salvation, but we're still waiting for it. Let me read to you Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 to 25. This is the writing of Paul the Apostle, and this is what he says. I consider that our present sufferings, now notice that phrase, present sufferings. He's talking about the things that we are experiencing and the things that we have right now are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He's now looking to the future, the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. It's waiting for that time. It has not yet happened. Paul carries on, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Isn't it wonderful to know that God's plan is to completely set the, the, every part of His creation free from its bondage to decay and death. Paul carries on, he says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Notice that, that statement there. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit also groan inwardly. In other words, even though we have the Spirit, even though we are children of God, even though we've been born of God, we are still groaning together with this creation that has been subjected to this bondage to death and decay. Paul carries on, he says, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Do you see what we're waiting for? We are waiting for something to happen. The ado our adoption to sonship and the redemption of our bodies. We are waiting for the fullness of what Jesus Christ purchased for us and secured for us at the cross through the shedding of His blood. Paul says, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? You see, we have a great hope through Jesus Christ. It is the hope of the resurrection of the dead. It is the hope of immortality, the hope of eternal life, and the hope that everything that we see in this age of sin and death is going to be done away with, and we're going to live forever in a creation in which there will be no pain, no suffering, no trouble whatsoever. That's our hope. But we have to wait for it patiently. That's what Paul says here. You see, Scripture really does teach us that the best is yet to come. And we're not going to receive the best while we are here in this world, in this age. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit has been given to us by God 
as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. The Holy Spirit is in our hearts guaranteeing us that the salvation that we long for, the freedom that we long for, the deliverance that we long for will one day be ours. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 says, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. That's already happened. And He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. You see, Jesus is coming back to deliver to us what He has already paid for and secured for us. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, Peter writes these words, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. Do you realize that there is a grace that God has laid up in heaven for us that we have not yet received? And when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming, He is coming with a grace that is going to be given to us. And Peter is telling us here to set our hope fully on that grace. As Paul told Titus, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ is our blessed hope. He told the Colossian believers, our life is hidden with Christ in God. But when Christ who is our life appears, we shall also appear with Him in glory. Isn't that wonderful? When Jesus comes, we will become everything God has called us to be. When will the consequences of sin be removed? When Jesus comes again. When He's revealed from heaven. When He appears in His glory. That's when we who have believed and trusted in Him during this age will receive everything that God has promised and everything that Jesus has paid for. If we truly understand this, we will long for the, the coming of the Lord and we will be doing everything we can to try and hasten that day. You see, the fulfillment of all God's plans and promises are pending that day. And until then, we are stuck in this age which is characterized by sin and death. And we're going to have trouble. We're going to face hardship. There are going to be tears. That doesn't mean that we're not going to see the miracles of God. It doesn't mean that God's not going to intervene in situations in our lives. We're going to see that all the time. And I'm sure we could look at our lives and we can see how God is taking care of us miraculously day in and day out. Let's go to the third question. Why has God arranged it this way? Is there a purpose? Is there any benefit to, to God doing it this way? The answer is yes. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 tells us, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. You see, suffering trials is an integral part of God's workings in our lives. God uses the circumstances, the struggles, the trials that we go through together with His Word, together with the ministrations of His Spirit to perfect us, to mold us, to refine us, to strengthen us, equip us so that we can become 
all that God has predestined us to be. And you know that He's predestined us to be just like His Son, Jesus, to be conformed to His image. And that's what God is committed to. And He will use every circumstance, no matter what it is, whether it's good or bad, He is working that all together to bring forth His vision for our lives and His call that is upon our lives. Do you know that even Jesus, the sinless Son of God, had to endure suffering? Let me read quickly three passages of Scripture from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 says this, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what He suffered. That's talking about the Lord Jesus. You see, you cannot have the glory of God without suffering first. Even the Lord Jesus, the pioneer of our salvation, had to go through suffering. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 to 9, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save Him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. You see, Jesus could not grant or give us or provide for us salvation without suffering. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 to 15 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin." We can take heart today. Jesus overcame, and we can too. He suffered and endured. We can too. He never drew back from obeying the Father, and we shouldn't either. He remained faithful to God to the very end, no matter what He had to go through, and so should we. He entrusted Himself to God. So must we. He rejoiced as He considered what His suffering would produce, and so should we. God delivered and saved Him from death, and God will do that for us as well. There is great benefit and reward that comes from enduring suffering, suffering according to the will of God. Job, in the midst of his trial, said this, When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Trials make us stronger. They humble us. They keep us from becoming proud. They purify our hearts. They make us depend on God rather than just depending on ourselves. They teach us patience, endurance, and compassion. As the servant of God, James, said, they perfect us and make us lack nothing. This is why we can rejoice whenever we face trials. God is treating us as sons. It may not be pleasant at the time, but in the end, 
it will produce the peaceable fruits of righteousness and enable us to share in God's holiness. Listen to the words of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 to 13. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when He rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one He loves and He chastens everyone He accepts as His son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as His children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. We need to believe with all of our hearts that good will come out of every situation we go through. Let's just move to the final question. What should our attitude to be towards all the trials of life? Remember, no trial is forever. And every trial is working for you, not against you. It's working to produce an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us, another translation says producing for us, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's do what Paul did. Let's fix our eyes on what is unseen, not on what is seen. Let's not focus on the trials we're going through. Let's focus on what God has promised us, the things that are eternal, the things that we will enjoy for all eternity. Let's be of good courage. Let's submit ourselves to God. He will not fail us. God cares for us. He is faithful. He knows how we are made. He knows that we are just dust. He will not allow us to be tempted or tested beyond what we can endure. He will keep us. He will save us. And He will bless us. Let's not harden our hearts when we face difficulties. Let's not draw back from God, from seeking Him. Let's not turn away from the Word of God. Let's not allow our hearts to grow bitter because of the circumstances we've had to endure in life or maybe enduring right now. Let's not be anxious or fearful no matter what we face. Instead, let's do what the Apostle Paul told us to do in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. He said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, 
by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, he said, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's do what the Apostle Peter told us to do in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 to 10. He said, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Let's do what King David told us to do in Psalm 37, verses 7 to 11. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the earth. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the earth and enjoy peace and prosperity. That's the future. That's the promise that God has given to every single one of His children. Finally, let us care deeply for one another as we walk through the challenges and the trials of this life. None of us live in isolation. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are members of one body. And when one is hurting, we all hurt. When one is mourning, we all mourn. When one is rejoicing, we all rejoice. Let's pray for one another. Let's encourage one another and build each other up in the midst of the trials that we are going through. And I have no doubt that as we do this, God will be with us. We will not pass through the fire and we will not pass through the floods alone. He will be with us and He will bless us and perfect us and lead us into His eternal kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank You that in You we have a hope that is alive, a hope that cannot be taken away, a hope that is secure and certain, that is an anchor for our souls, even in the midst of trials and storms and buffeting. Lord, thank You that You are our security and our assurance. You're the guarantee of every one of Your promises. Thank You that You are with us, Father, that we do not go through the trials we are facing alone, but thank You that You are with us, that You're speaking to us today to encourage us and strengthen us so that we may endure, so that we may remain steadfast in the faith, and so that we may inherit every promise You have given to us. Thank You, Father, for the revelation of Your plan. Thank You for the hope that we have that Jesus Christ is coming again. Thank You, Lord, that the way things are will not forever be this way. Thank You, Father, that You're going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Thank You that You're going to remove death, every curse, all pain, all sorrow, all mourning. All these things are going to pass away on the great day when the Lord Jesus comes again. Thank You, Father, that You have a future for us. And Lord, You know what is in Your mind. Thank You that You've revealed it to us by Your Spirit. And so today, Lord, we can rejoice, and we do rejoice, no matter what we're going through, because we know, Father, You will see us through, 
you will lead us through, you will be with us, and that one day, Lord, we will stand in the fullness of everything that you have provided and purchased for us and promised to us. For that, we rejoice. For that, we give you thanks. In Jesus' mighty name, Lord, amen. Well, it's been great to be able to bring the Word of God to you today. And I pray that it will have ministered to you and encouraged you and just given you some strength, that you would have received strength through this from the Holy Spirit. God bless you and uh, just continue to walk with Him in every day. Amen.